So Advent has kind of spilled into the new year uh, because the calendar made it a short season anyway, plus we had some weather, plus I have a lot to say about the theme of Advent this year about hope. Because as we've said in this lesson right now, it's hard for people to hope. Uh, Right now, it's kind of a dark time. We talked about hoping in the darkness, and this is in our national life a dark time. Right now, we're living with an upsurge of acrimony. Right now, we are seemingly more willing to cut one another off, to diminish and to demonize and to otherize each other. Right now, many folks in our nation prioritize standing with a fragmented part, standing with their tribe over standing with the whole. Instead of hearing one another and listening and understanding and working with and cooperating the other, we are tending to make our loyalties get into smaller and smaller groups, tribal groups. So yeah, when that stuff gets played out on the nightly news, it is hard to hold on to hope in this particular season. When that stuff gets played out in relationships that get broken at your job and in your neighborhood with your family, yeah, it's, it's hard to hold on to hope in times like this. Hope, we've seen, is a rare commodity during dark seasons. When history sends us times like we're having right now, hope is usually an early casualty. Which makes our mandate as spiritual people, our mandate as Christian people, hard to follow. Here's what our mandate is not. Our mandate is not to wait until things get better and then become hopeful. And then once we've become hopeful because things got better, to then be motivated to go out and to bring light to darkness. No. Our tradition insists that it is exactly when things are their darkest that we are to be people of hope. And we've been seeing in this lesson, we have inherited a set of disciplines that when we calendar them and when we practice them, they enable us to hold on to hope even in the times that are dark. They enable us to hold on to hope even when things are so difficult. Well, that's what we've been talking about in this lesson. The tools given us by our tradition that help us be people of hope in the hard times. One of the tools we explored came from our contemplative tradition, being the observer self, observing those hope-killing emotions instead of being hijacked by them. Our tradition calls that practice meditation or centering prayer or mindfulness meditation. The last two Sundays, we've explored being gatekeepers of the stories that we tell ourselves. Our tradition calls this the practice of confession, but because that word has gotten so laden with a bunch of baggage, we've kind of tried to explain it or clarify it, calling it the practice of self-awareness and self-disclosure. You can find that on our website. Well, since this is the last uh, lesson on hope, I'm going to jump right in where we left off, processing the ancient text that we looked at last week from Paul, encouraging us to do the work of transforming our minds, the renewal, the transformation of our being by the renewing of our minds. If you missed that or any one of the weeks in this lesson, I would encourage you to have a listen online because they do kind of build each on the last. So last week, in the work of renewing our minds, we looked at a common hope-killing story that we tend to share collectively as a society. And that is that since the Industrial Revolution... You and I, people, have been living in systems that are bigger than our minds evolved to be able to handle. 
And so consequently, it is common for us to pick up a story living in a scope that is bigger than we evolved to manage, living in systems of millions instead of uh, systems of hundreds. We've developed a commonly told story among ourselves that what I do or what I don't do doesn't matter. And if you, again, if you miss that, uh, have a listen online. Well, today I want to continue looking at stories that we tell ourselves, things that we commonly share together, not unique to your story, but kind of us collectively as we're looking at mind-renewing internal transformation. The stories that you and I tell ourselves are often implanted because of the unique genetic personality that we awaken in. Oftentimes, the stories that we tell ourselves are inherited from our families of origin. Oftentimes, they get hammered out as we're going through life by significant people and events and circumstances that have shaped our lives. And each one of us, we tend to have a certain predilection to tell stories according to certain patterns. We are born with a natural bent toward certain kinds of storytelling. We have families that give us a natural inclination toward certain kinds of storytelling. And so we will then tell those most likely to be told stories once. And when we do, we experience the psychological effects of telling that story. When we do, we experience the emotional upsurge that goes with telling that story. And when that happens, then the next thing to happen is that our brain's habit-forming mechanism kicks in. Thought patterns and emotional response patterns get then ingrained into the habit mechanisms in our heads. As we say all the time, it's easier to think a thought the second time. It's easier to have an emotional response pattern the second time. And it's easier still the third time and the fourth time. But by the 400th time, we no, longer, we no longer think of these as thought patterns. We think of these as the one and true truth about all things. We no longer think of these as emotional response patterns. We think of these as the appropriate way to respond to this circumstance. And these things get embedded deeply in habit rather than reflecting the world as the world really is. So, it is in fact true that our thought patterns are just thought patterns, and our emotional responses are just emotional responses, and our beliefs about things and about people and even about ourselves are just beliefs. They are not the one and true truth of all things. And so, we meditate. We meditate to help us disentangle ourselves from and to disidentify with these habitual, non-considered, non-thought-about storytelling patterns. And we do the practice of self-awareness and self-disclosure to help us stand back from our stories, to see that they are just stories, and to challenge their always and foreverness. To see that they are true in some contexts, in some ways, but they are very challengeable in other contexts, in other ways. So we do these practices so we have options. We do these practices so we have the freedom to make choices, that we don't run our lives as automatons merely on the force of our psycho-emotional response patterns. We do these practices so we have freedom, so we have options. We don't have to follow 
our pre-programmed thought ruts. We don't have to follow our habitual emotional response patterns. Well, for today, I want to look at a few thought and emotion patterns that are common to many. So the pattern we've seen goes something like this. A difficult thing happens. And when it does, our thought patterns kick in, our emotional response patterns flare up. And as we've seen that our brain does, we kick into meaning-making mode. We kick into storytelling mode. Our brains are wired to interpret circumstances, to make meaning of our circumstances. It does that interpreting work by telling a story, a story that goes, this happens because of that or some such thing. I was listening over uh, to a book over the holidays that reminded me yet again how rapidly our brains will do this little storytelling trick for us in microseconds. We will cook up a story that says this means that, this happened because of that, this is the way things work, this is the way things are. We will do that work in our brains in microseconds, faster than that. And in that short little time, our brains will instinctively tell us a story that frames our troubles. Now, the common patterns that I want to look at today are stories that are framed in terms that are permanent and stories that are framed in terms that are temporary. Permanent stories or temporary stories. Let me explain what I mean. So this negative thing happens. Maybe it's a negative thing that I did. Maybe it's a negative thing that someone else did to me. Uh, Perhaps it's a goal that I couldn't make happen. Maybe it was a financial mistake or a moral failing. Some damage that happened to a significant, important relationship. Something negative happens, and our brains do what they do. They go into that storytelling, meaning-making mode. And depending on the story habits that we carry around in our brains... Uh, we might tell ourselves unconsciously a story about our setback being permanent or we might tell a story about our setback being temporary. We could frame our moral failure as an out-of-character slip. Ah, man, I slipped on that one. I did that one. Or we could tell ourselves a story framing it as, that is just the way I am. Now, permanent or temporary stories will often decide for us how we're going to face our setbacks. Permanent or temporary stories will often decide for us how we're going to face our troubles, how we're going to face our struggles. Will we be people who hope in the dark times, or will we be people who are overrun by the loss of hope? It is possible to choose from either kind of story. But usually, the brain tells us that story before we even know what kind of story we're telling. So, our stories can either be, yeah, things went badly this time, but next time they'll be better. Or our stories could be, yeah, things went badly this time, and that's just the way it is. Things go badly. That's life. Again, we don't calculate that we're going to tell ourselves these stories. They happen in microseconds. They happen by habit, by instinct, shaped long before the trouble shows up, long before the trouble hits. There's not a thing we could do about that. That happened to us. We picked that up along the way. But there is something that we could do about what happens next. 
we can decide to do the work. It is hard work that Paul spoke about of transforming our lives by the renewing of our minds. And we do that by actually seeing the stories that run our lives and seeing them for what they are. They are stories. We can do the work that we talked about last week of bringing suspicion to the alwaysness of our stories. We can bring suspicion to the permanent badness of our stories. Now, as you can imagine, when our stories tell us that setbacks are permanent, that things are bad now, and they're going to be bad tomorrow because that's the way life is, well, of course, hope dies. Of course, we tend to get demoralized. And of course, we tend to give up easier. Of course, we get more discouraged. That book that I mentioned last week uh, has done a great deal of psychological research into the stories that we tell ourselves and how they work. And synthesizing that research confirmed what is pretty intuitive, that people give up a lot earlier, people give up a lot faster, people actually end up giving up too soon if the habitual stories they tell themselves about their hard times, about their troubles, about the setbacks, about the things that happen, if those things are cast, those stories are cast in permanent terms. When misfortune strikes, it's just this way. It's always been this way. It'll always be this way. Well, of course that undermines hope. Of course that undermines motivation. Of course it undermines us being the best version of ourselves. I had a stepfather along the way in this journey of life that I had, and there's a joke that we tell in our family that we would take off out of the driveway, and he would say, when we get there, there won't be a place to park. (laughs) And it was just a perpetual story that he had that he told himself. You might have heard the uh, term catastrophize being used lately. It's kind of a buzzword for talking about the permanent bad kind of storytelling. The stories that kill off hope. The stories that kill off the motivation that we need to thrive in dark times. But here's the thing. Bad is permanent stories are no more true than bad is temporary stories. They are both more a function of the habits in our brains than they are of any intrinsic measurement of truthfulness. The thing is, though, bad is permanent stories kill off hope. One of the storytelling options available to us is that misfortune or setback or failure or moral uh, decline. These things are temporary. Circumstances that will go away and perhaps even sooner than we think. Well, that's no less true than the alternative that bad is permanent way of storytelling. As a matter of fact, if you remember when I first started this lesson, I put those two books up there and I gave you kind of a mini book report on them. The uh, Our Better Angels, uh, Stephen Pinker, and then uh, uh, The Evolution of God by Robert Wright. The case can be made that bad is temporary stories actually turn out to be better reflection of the way things unfold than bad is permanent. So we're not talking about intrinsic truthfulness to our bad is permanent or bad is temporary stories. More of what we're talking about is how those stories are primarily determined by our habits. 
But there is this thing that even though they're determined by our habits, they do have a self-fulfilling element to them. Because one of them helps us maintain hope in dark times. And the other kills off hope in hard times. Hope awakens us to possibilities. Hope strengthens us to work toward better outcomes. And when hope is killed off in the hard times, so is the interior motivation to bring about the better outcomes in our lives. So one of these stories is self-fulfilling in bad-is-permanent kinds of ways. And one of these stories is self-fulfilling in bad-is-temporary kinds of ways. But again, permanent, bad-is-permanent stories are not the one and true truth of all time. And bad as temporary stories are not the one and true truth of all time. They are the stories that we tell ourselves because of the habits that are ingrained in our heads. One shapes our life one way, the other another. Now again, I do hope you go to the website. That's been a big theme of this storytelling part of the the lesson. Under the resources tab, the self-awareness, self-disclosure, I hope you look at the worksheet. I hope you'll familiarize yourself with the 20 questions about self-awareness that's on the worksheet. I hope you'll listen to the little audio clips because that'll familiarize you with the process of what we do with those questions. As we look at the stories that we tell ourselves, it's always good to have framed in our mind this question. Are the stories that I'm telling myself when I'm in the middle of one of my setbacks or one of my troubles... Are those stories framed in permanent terms or temporary? Do my stories tend to see the drivers of bad things as permanent features of the universe or maybe just permanent features of how my life tends to go in this universe? Or do I see these as temporary moments of struggle? So check to see if your story has fra- have phrases embedded in them like, I'm all washed up. That would be a permanent story. Or, I am exhausted. That would be a temporary story. I can never lose weight. That would be permanent. I sure don't lose weight when I eat out. That is temporary. She always nags me. That's permanent. Or she nags me if I don't follow through on this thing. That's temporary. My boss is a tyrant. Permanent. My boss has been in a bad mood for a while now. That's temporary. He never talks to me. That's permanent. He hasn't talked to me lately. That's temporary. Well, the thing about hope-killing stories is that they tend to use terms like always and never. Hope-nurturing stories, on the other hand, tend to interpret hard times using terms like sometimes or lately. We all have setbacks. We all fail. We all get hurt by someone. We all get discouraged by something beyond our control. And when those hits come in our lives, they feel like a punch in the stomach. They hurt. And when that happens, it is quite natural for us to feel momentarily helpless and momentarily hopeless. Of course we do. But that's when the work begins of challenging the stories that we tell ourselves. Our failure or our setback can either congeal into a narrative of permanence or our setback and our failure can begin to dissolve into something a story of something better that happens the next time around. If, after we suffer a defeat, we tell ourselves that it will always be this way, 
where is the motivation to get up from the hits when we sustain them in life? So we ask ourselves about the stories we tell ourselves. We stand back and we examine them and we ask, do we tend to frame troubles in permanent terms or temporary? Permanent or temporary? Well, a second common hope-killing way in which we tell our stories is to frame our stories in terms of the particular or the universal. Let me explain that as well. Particular stories apply to a particular situation, right here, right now. Universal stories tend to bleed into all situations, into everything, all of life, all of experience. Particular stories keep our troubles in the neat little box in which they happened. This thing happened in this part of my life at this particular time with this particular relationship. And even if that particular part of our life is a really big part of our life, it is still part of our life. It is not the universal whole. But what hope-killing stories tend to do is bleed out of the particular circumstance in which the bad thing happened and bleed into everything. My whole life becomes bad when I sustain a hit. My whole life gets cast in the shadow of this particular trouble. The whole nation gets cast in the shadow of this particular problem. But when our stories are particular, a thread in our life can be broken. But we have other threads that can sustain us. But when the stories that we tell ourselves are universal, a thread in our life can be broken, but that takes out all the other threads along with it. Whether they're related or not, the whole fabric of our interior world begins to unravel. Well, of course, if our stories are universal, hope is going to die. So, we fail. We have a tragedy. We have a disaster. We all do. And again, when that happens, we feel stomach-punched. When we do, our brains automatically kick in and begin to interpret and make meaning out of our experience by telling us a story. And if our story stays within the bounds of this particular disaster, yes, we will feel hopeless and we will feel helpless in this particular area, in this particular relationship, in this moral weakness, with this financial setback, in this national crisis, we will feel helpless and hopeless in this situation, at this time. But once our stories bleed out of the particular into the universal, we will still feel helpless and we will still feel hopeless. But those hope-killing feelings will bleed into all of our lives. Again, completely determined by the stories that we tell ourselves. Everything I touch turns to ash, a universal story. Boy, I really screwed that up badly. A particular story. All teachers are unfair. Universal. My math teacher grades unfairly. Particular. I am not attractive. Universal. He doesn't find me attractive. Particular. Therapy can't help us. Universal. That therapist did not help us. Particular. Particular stories keep the trouble, keep the setback in its lane. Universal stories bleed the troubles into all the lanes. But again, 
Particular stories are not the one and true truth about all things, and universal stories are not the one and true truth about all things. They're habits. They're brain habits, they're storytelling habits, they're microsecond response habits, and they're habits that we can, with training, learn to challenge. Our tradition tells us that the three great things abide, faith, hope, and love. And our tradition gives us tools to keep hold on to each, even when times are tough. And one of the things that we are taught is to act as vigilant gatekeepers of the stories that we tell ourselves, to act as skeptics and challengers of those stories because they are not universally true. They are habit. Hope-killing narratives will indeed kill off hope. And it will happen instinctively, and it will happen automatically. It will happen under the surface. It will happen without you even knowing that it's going on unless we learn the spiritual skill of acting as gatekeepers of the stories that we tell ourselves. So my encouragement in this lesson is to take up the practices, particularly in this last one, to act as guardians, gatekeepers of our stories, and to look particular today to stories that cast our troubles as either permanent or temporary. Stories that cast our troubles as universal, applying across the board to all of life, to all of everybody's life, or at least to all of my life. Or stories that exercise the discipline, and it is a discipline, to exercise the discipline of keeping our troubles in the box of particularity. This trouble, this setback, in this place, at this time. Permanent or temporary, universal or particular. Now again, life does hit us. We do have troubles. We do face difficulties, and they are real. And it happens to people, and it happens to families, it happens to cities, and it happens to nations. And our mishaps, and our disappointments, and our setbacks, and our struggles, they feel like we've been slugged. And the natural response is to feel helpless. We do. Our natural response is to feel hopeless. We do. That is how life unfolds. But people who sustain hope when they are struck down, people who are not overrun by darkness and by troubles, they do feel helpless, but not as long. And they do feel hopeless, but not as long. When we train ourselves to hope, when we act as gatekeepers of the stories that we tell ourselves, helplessness cannot persist permanently. Hopelessness cannot persist permanently. And so, the Spirit of God within each of us. May, be, may we be alerted in the daily moments of our days to those times when our habitual stories that we tell ourselves kick in. And in particular, when they present a recurring refrain the hope-killing refrain, permanent refrain, universal refrains. May we see them, and may we be alerted to challenge them, and may we, by taking up these ancient practices, become skilled in the transforming of our and the renewing of our minds. Amen.